0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the Messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, good evening. Peace be with you. I want to thank you so much for joining us this evening. My name is Kevin, and I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor here. And if you're visiting with us tonight, I just want you to know we're really grateful that you came. I know that today and tomorrow tend to be pretty, days for mo- pretty busy days for most of us. And we're honored that you would spend some time with us here tonight. Today is my favorite day of the year. I think I just, I love Christmas, but I also love Christmas Eve. We have five kids. Most of them are still pretty little. And so the air in our house right now is electric. The chaos has been building. They can hardly contain themselves. There's just something about that, that moment of anticipation, you know, that time of anticipation, which when you're a kid, you hate, but I think as you get older, you you kind of learn to love it a little bit more. I love gathering with you guys on Christmas Eve. I love singing with you. There's something about Christmas and music. It's mysterious, but the connection between the two, that that we associate certain songs with this season, and they carry so much weight with us. You know, growing up, we had a few Christmas albums. I think we had three of them, and when I say albums, I mean... Like albums that you put on the record player. So we we would wear them out, but the one we listened to most, I think, was probably Perry Cuomo's Christmas. Any any Perry Cuomo fans here? Few of us. Well, the other day my wife and I were driving and I put on that album and the song No Place Like Home for the Holidays. And I swear I was instantly transported back to 1988 in my parents' basement setting up the Christmas tree. Like there's just There's something about music, and I'm sure you've had those experiences before. It's powerful. Now, some Christmas songs are powerful because they're nostalgic or they're sentimental to us. They remind us of days that have gone by. But some Christmas songs are powerful because of the the truths and the spiritual longings that they give name to. Songs that we sing already, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or Light of the World. Songs we will sing, O Holy Night. There, There are these songs that... They don't they, they don't just testify to what we celebrate tomorrow, but they they speak to something deep in all of us, I think, deep longings of the human heart for peace, for joy, for reconciliation, for hope. And so tonight, what I'd like to do with the few minutes I have with you is I would like to talk with you and look with you at the first Christmas song ever written. And it was written. By Jesus's mom, Mary, after she learned that she was going to give birth to him. It's Throughout history, it's gained the name, the Magnificat, but it's really a song that she wrote in response to the angel telling her, you're going to give birth, you a virgin Mary, you are going to give birth to a son. And she wrote this song, and the depths of the song, like I don't know if you can actually plumb to the bottom of it, some people have called this the most revolutionary song that's ever been written. And so I'd like to just talk with you guys about it for a few minutes tonight. And I'd like to invite you, if you're able to stand with me, for the reading of God's Word as we look at this text. It's Luke 1, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 55. In response to the angel, Mary said, "'My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior.'" For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are three movements to this song. Each of these movements, I think, help expand our understanding of what it is we celebrate tomorrow, the birth of Christ. The first movement we see that leads Mary to shout out and praise, even the first line, she begins by singing, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And if we were to put that in modern language, it's as if Mary is really, she's saying, I- I'm floored and I don't know how to respond. I've been moved in the very depth of my being by the goodness of God. Now that might sound, you know, well, that sounds like something you would read in the Bible, but it's really kind of surprising when you keep this song in context. You see, Mary... Mary's young. She's likely 14, 15 years old. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph. She's a virgin. And then this angel comes and tells her, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. I mean, that news, for us, we're like, of course she would celebrate, but put yourself in her shoes. That news would totally upend her life. Joseph would probably divorce her, which he was going to, until an angel intervened. But even if he didn't, Eventually, she's going to start to show. And what's she going to tell people? Well, it's this crazy story. There was this angel, and you got to believe me. No. The announcement that she was going to give birth to Jesus, in many ways, it was an invitation to a life of shame and disgrace. She was going to be the mother of an illegitimate child in a very, very conservative society. And yet Mary, she doesn't respond with anger, or incredulity, she doesn't say, How could you do this to me? God I had all of these plans for my life. Instead, she responds with joy. My soul glorifies the Lord. Why? It's the very next line of the song. She says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. This is the first movement of the song. Mary rejoices and praise. Why? Because she's saying, in essence, God saw me. He noticed me. God, who, who is so often mysterious and whose ways are often hidden, he, he's shown that he's not absent or withdrawn or distant or uninterested in the plight of ordinary or even lowly people. Like me, she's saying. I mean, Mary was, to put it bluntly, she would be viewed as a nobody, no connections, no influence, no money, no power, and she belonged to a people that in the eyes of the world were nobodies. They were a pain in the neck of Rome, and that's it. They didn't have status, they didn't have power, and it would be easy for Mary to look at her life, which is lowly and marginalized, and to think God is absent he doesn't care and instead she when she hears this news she responds with joy saying no god does know he does see and he does care he's mindful god hand selected her and i think there's a truth for us here that extends beyond just mary one of the things we're celebrating at christmas is that god is not distant detached or withdrawn from our world He's not unaware of what we're going through. And a lot of times we don't know why he doesn't step in or do this instead of that or why he allows certain things to happen. And there's a lot of mystery there. But the truth of Christmas, the truth we celebrate, is that God is well aware of what's happening on this earth. And he cares, he's mindful. And this leads Mary to rejoice. And so I I don't know who you are or what brought you here this evening. You might be 70, you could be seven, somewhere in between. You might feel like you're far from God, or you might feel pretty close to God. Maybe you just, you've just you been in a hard season and you kind of just see everything through blue lenses right now. I just want you to know, God is mindful of you. He's not detached. He's not withdrawn. He knows you. He knows you, you fully. He knows you down to the number of hairs on your head, and that's worth celebrating. But it's also a challenging thing to consider. Mary rejoices. God's mindful of me. He's drawn near to me. I think some of us, though, I don't know if we would always feel comfortable with God knowing us to the bottom, right? Like that in and of itself is not always comforting. God drawing near. There's parts of my life, and there's certainly been times in my life where it's the last thing I would want is God pressing in. This is it good news that God has been mindful? is it good news that God is drawing near, that, that he's come down? You know, I grew up in a bi-level home. My parents' bedroom was upstairs, living room, kitchen. And my brother and I had bedrooms downstairs. He's four years older than me, and he always had at least 50 pounds on me. Uh, and so we would fight, which was more he would beat me up, and we would yell at each other a lot. And my dad... You know, if he heard us fighting, he wouldn't even say anything at first. All he would do is just stomp on the floor as hard as he could. And we didn't live in a very big house. It kind of shook the entire house, and it kind of felt like thunder from heaven. And it was a warning for us, like, hey, knock it off. If we kept fighting, my dad would yell down with this terrifying kind of blood-curdling voice and say, cut it out, knock it off. And if, if that didn't work he would give one final warning. And everyone knows what that warning is, right? Don't make me come down there. Because if we made him get up from his chair and walk the two half flights of stairs to the basement, there's going to be real problems. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be wrath, punishment. And if you read the Prophets... The idea of God stretching out his hand, it wasn't always encouraging. The idea of God drawing near was actually really frightening to people. And yet Mary, she's rejoicing in this song because she knows why he's coming. Because Mary knows her Old Testament, and she knows that when God moves among the lowly and the nobodies, it's because God is moving in mercy. Mary writes... His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You see, Mary, she's not proud. Mary's recognizing If God is going to move through me, he's got to be moving in mercy. Because when God moves in mercy, he moves among the lowly. He picks lowly places like Nazareth, which to the best of our knowledge was a podunk town you never went to on purpose. And if you did go there, you tried to get out of there. And Jesus looks at Nazareth and he says, that's going to be my hometown. And then he picks a mom, a single teenage mom who's poor. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, she, Mary, she's going to be my mom. God moves in lowly places and among lowly people to show us the way to life with him. You see, contrary to what many of us grew up thinking or believing or even being taught, the theme of Mary's song, the Ark of the Bible, it's not that God blesses the good people and he curses the bad. The theme of Mary's song, the heart of the Bible, is that God lifts the lowly, but he scatters the proud. That for people who've made a mess of their lives and they know it, God steps in and shows mercy and grace. For people who think they've got it all together, it's not good news. You know, for Mary, this announcement, it was the greatest of news. But remember, it wasn't great news for everyone. The Romans didn't rejoice at this news. The religious establishment didn't rejoice at this news. They found it threatening and they tried to kill him. See, and this is where every year around this time, the mystery and the wonder of what we celebrate at Christmas, what theologians call the incarnation, God taking on human flesh— It just blows my mind because the Incarnation challenges so many assumptions we have about life, about the ways of the world, about God, about what we value. I mean, we as people, we value money and power and connections and fame and speed. You know, like all the people who can get things done, God, he values the humble and the lowly and the broken and the poor in spirit. Why? Well, it's not because those things are necessarily, certainly some of them, they're not virtuous in themselves. God values those things because those are the people who are the most likely to respond when he extends his mercy. You see, proud people look at the baby in the feeding trough because there was no place else. Abject poverty, born in abject poverty. And they might feel sentimental, they might feel superior, or they might feel pity, which is a form of superiority. But the humble in heart, they look at that baby born in the feeding trough and they have the eyes to see that God has drawn near to his people. And they have the eyes to see how wonderful it is. I mean, think about it. If you heard that God was drawing near, The almighty, all-powerful God is drawing near in human flesh. How would you expect him to come? A mighty warrior? A soldier? God chose to come as a baby, as a son, as the most non-threatening thing possible to show us the way to life with him. Martin Luther, he writes about this when he writes, To me there is no greater consolation given to mankind than this that Christ became man, a child, a babe, playing in the lap of his most gracious mother. Who is there whom this sight would not comfort? Now has overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt, if you come to this gurgling babe and believe that he has come, not to judge you, but to save you. I just want to say, if you're here this evening and you feel beat down, you feel broken, You feel far from God. You feel poor in spirit. God is merciful. He's mindful. He knows you. But he's also merciful. You can go to him as you are right now. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get right with God. God does the getting right. You just go to him. God is mindful. He's merciful. And then the last movement. Mary says in verse 54, She concludes her song saying, he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, there's some names there, and it's what exactly is she saying? Well, if you wanted to boil it down, what Mary is singing about in the last line, she's saying, God, not only are you mindful of me, not only are you merciful, but you're also faithful. I can trust you. Because Mary knows that this child that's promised to her, it's not God doing something out of left field. It's God coming through on promises that trace all the way back to Genesis 3 and then Genesis 12 and throughout the Old Testament. God's promise that he was going to send a king who was going to deliver his people from their sins. She knows that she connects it. And at that first Christmas, she says, you're faithful. I can trust you. Something we often don't think about at Christmas, but Christmas is one of the greatest, if not the greatest demonstration of God's faithfulness to his people. That he comes through and you can trust him. As we all know, trust is essential for a healthy relationship. You know, you can't really have good friendships or a healthy marriage if you don't trust each other. It's just impossible. And... When you don't trust people, you, you hold people at arm's length. And let's be honest, oftentimes you should because we live in a world where people lie, they steal, they cheat, they malign, they do all kinds of horrible things. And so part of living in this fallen world is we, we learn to throw up these walls and we learn to keep people at a distance. In some ways, that's, that's necessary, certainly in some relationships. But what often happens... Is we do the same thing with God that we do with other people. We keep him at arm's length. We don't. We don't want him too close. We want to know him to an extent, but we don't want him too close because we don't know how to trust. And what Mary is saying in the song is, even though God is mysterious, He never lies, and He never fails to follow through. He follows through on His promises. And so as you enter into these next couple of days, which I hope and I pray are filled with tremendous amount of joy and laughter and warmth with people that you love, I also recognize there might be some hard times. You know, there'll be the the post-present crash in a lot of houses and there'll be fights and there'll be bickering and all sorts of things that accompany the joy. I just want you to know God is mindful of you. He knows you. He's merciful. You can go to him and he's faithful. You can trust him. Let's go to him together in prayer. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.